Genesis chapter 31, we'll be going through verse 43 through the end, and then we'll pick up seven verses in 32. We talked last week about envy and how envy has lied to Laban and his sons, and envy will lie to you and me. Envy poisoned the heart of Laban towards Jacob. And Jacob was a faithful servant to Laban. He has made Laban wealthy, yet now envy has poisoned the heart of Laban and his sons. In 1 Corinthians 3, verse 3, we read that the Holy Spirit has to say about envy, and we read it through the words of the Apostle Paul. For you are still carnal, for where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? We're called to a higher calling than just mere men. But it's good for us to contrast the characteristics of envy versus love. Love suffers long, is kind. Love does not envy. Envy is not that little small white lie that we like to put on some sins as acceptable. Envy put Jesus on the cross. Jesus knew that the Jewish leaders had delivered him over to Pilate out of envy. Envy has produced murder in the hearts of the Jewish leaders of that day. Envy will not allow a person to rejoice with his friends who perhaps have more than they do. God has spoken to Jacob and he's told him to go back to his homeland And although things were unpleasant with Laban, Jacob was safe there with Laban. He is prospering. His flocks are increasing. His wives are increasing. <laughs> and it was a safe environment for Jacob. Now Jacob hears from God, go back to your kindred. Back where your brother Esau lives you know your brother Esau, the one that swore to kill you when you left? <laughs> Go back to him, Jacob. And Jacob obeys. He is leaving. He is about, oh, seven days' journey away from Padanaram. And Laban hotly pursues him and catches up with Jacob. And so Jacob and Laban decide to make a covenant of peace between them. By God's command, Jacob has separated himself from the family of Laban, from his in-laws who worshipped idols, and uh, that is not so uncommon in the world today as we'd like to think. But Jacob is told to leave. We happen to live in uh, an area that's a high-tech area, and it's sort of a transient area 
for a lot of engineers and workers here. And we have a lot of turnover in the community, a lot of people moving in, a lot of people moving out. And when people come into our fellowship, I want them to see several things. And one of the main things I want them to see is I want them to see the love of Jesus here. I really do. I want them to hear the truth as we teach through the scriptures. And like today we're having a potluck, I want them to experience the love of fellow believers. That is so critical. John, the apostle, when he was an old man, they would carry him to different fellowships. And he had one message, and it was brethren, love one another. That's what John was reduced to. And John had a great mind, but he knew the importance of brethren loving one another. But some of us aren't so lovable, are we? Speaking to self. And so we have to work to love one another. But that's all right. It's a good labor. Work at it. <laughs> so let's get into today's message. Genesis chapter 31, verse 43 through 55. And Laban answered and said to Jacob, These daughters are my daughters, these children are my children, and this flock is my flock. All that you see is mine, but what can I do this day to these my daughters or to their children whom they have borne? Now therefore, come, let us make a covenant, you and I, and let it be a witness between you and me. So Jacob took a stone and set it up as a pillar, then Jacob said to his brethren, Gather stones. And they took stones and made a heap, and they ate there on the heap. And Laban called it Jagar Saharatha, or something like that. But Jacob called it Galid. We're going to go with Galid. And Laban said, This heap is a witness between you and me this day. Therefore the name of it was called Galid. Also Mizpah, because he said, May the Lord watch between you and me when we are absent one from another. If you afflict my daughters, or if you take other wives besides my daughters, although no man is with us, see God is witness between you and me. Then Laban said to Jacob, Here is the heap, and here is the pillar which I have pl placed between you and me. This heap is a witness, and the pillar is a witness, that I will not pass beyond this heap to you, and you will not pass beyond this heap and this pillar to me for harm. For the God of Abraham, the God of Nahor, the God of their fathers, judged between us, and Jacob swore by the fear of his father Isaac. Then Jacob offered a sacrifice on the mountain, and he called his brethren to eat bread, and they ate bread and stayed all night on the mountain. And early in the morning Laban arose, kissed his sons and daughters, and blessed them. Then Laban departed and returned to his place. In verse 43 there we see Laban, he still claims his daughters as his own. Uh, us fathers kind of like to do that. We're not quite so easy to give up our daughters to their husbands, but uh, it was probably a Middle Eastern custom that Laban would uh, claim ownership of his daughters and his grandkids. But Laban's daughters, they don't claim him. It's not a two-way street. They're married to Jacob, and they have cast their lot with Jacob, which is a good thing to do. 
So this claim by Laban, these are my daughters, my flocks, and all this, they're just words. And Laban is trying to do what we call put a good spin on how gracious he is. Laban is saying, you, your wives and your flocks are mine, but what can I do? My hands are tied because of my good nature. <laughs> Not true, Laban. But anyway, but you and I, Jacob, let us make a covenant of peace if we must separate. So they set up this heap of stones. They eat a meal on the stones. And Jacob is to stay on his side of the stones, and Laban is to stay on his side of the stones. And then Laban calls on the God of Jacob to be a witness between them, a peculiar thing for Laban to do. The God of Jacob, Laban doesn't worship him. He doesn't recognize the true God of Jacob. So why would Laban call on the God of Jacob? Laban is trying to force Jacob into a position of trust. Why all this rhetoric? Why all these stones and eating on the stones and don't cross the border? I think secretly Laban understands that God is blessing Jacob and he, Jacob has God's blessing. And Laban wants this covenant of peace for he fears Jacob continuing to prosper and grow strong. And so Jake, Laban is trying to get this covenant as a safeguard for his own life. And any person like Laban who happened to change Jacob's wages 10 times. Jacob was keeping count. <laughs> Changed my wages once, twice, 10 times. But understand this about Laban. He judges other people, Laban does, out of his own character. In the book of Job, we have the classic example of Satan judging Job from his own heart. In Job chapter 1, verses 6 through 11, you may want to turn there. I'm going to read verses 6 through 11. Uh, it's real insight, the book of Job is, between the relationship between God and Satan and really between Job and God. So let's read Job chapter 1, starting in verse 6. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, From where do you come? So Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth, and from walking back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is none like him on earth. A blameless, an upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil. So Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge around him, around his household, and around all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. But now stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. 
It's interesting for me to note that God boasts of Job to Satan. No one on earth like Job, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil. I would like God to say that about me. <laughs> Satan's response to God shows his heart, though. Does Job fear God for nothing? God, you've got a hedge of protection around him, around his household, around all that he has. You, God, have blessed the work of Job's hands. You have made Job rich. No wonder he worships you. But then we come to the conclusion, and it's Satan saying, no wonder Job worships you, God. He does it because you've blessed him. And there we see Satan judging Job from his very own heart. His own evil heart says, Job, you're just like me. Verse 11, but God, stretch out your hand and touch all that Job has, and he will surely curse you to your face. And then we have the rest of the book of Job that proves to Satan that Job is not like himself. And Job, Job goes through a series of trials. You've read the book, you know, and they are severe trials. But he never curses God. And in the end, God again blesses Job and restores everything to him. And he blesses him abundantly. Now, Laban in this covenant is trying to protect himself from Jacob. And why? Because Laban thinks J Jacob will be just like himself, untrustworthy. That's the way J Laban is judging Jacob. And today, in our world, we have contracts, we have documents that we sign in attempts to protect ourselves. We have attorneys that make their living by writing bulletproof contracts. And then we have other attorneys who make their living showing their clients how to break those bulletproof contracts. So it's a, it's a really a legalistic game. But it's been said of contracts, they're only as good as a person who writes it. And that is so true. As a Christian, we are to be people of our word. Jesus said, let your yes be yes and your no be no. And don't use prayer. This is me now. <laughs> and don't use prayer as a cop out. I come to some of you sometimes and you don't want to tell me no when I ask you to do something. So you tell me, well, I'll pray about it, Pastor Don. Let me tell you something about, right? I can handle no. I can handle it. But if you tell me you're going to pray about it, pray about it. We have to be careful about our words. I'm trying. Somebody says, I want you to pray for something. You know what I try to do? I try to pray with them right then. 
Because my mind says, if I don't pray right then, I'm going to forget. So I try to pray with a person when they ask me to pray about something right then on the spot. I, uh, I have a pet peeve about people that make appointments and they're late. If I tell you I'm going to be there at 7, I make an honest effort to be there at 7. But that's me. And I have actually walked out of doctor offices after you sit there an hour. They make an appointment at 3.30. It's now 4.30 and you're still sitting there. I have got up, walked over to the reception and said, my time has some value. I'm leaving. And they look at me like, you can't do that. Oh, yes, I can. <laughs> I don't like being late for appointments. And doctors, are, of course, are notorious for making you sit there and wait. But one of the great lessons we have in chapter 31, God has required Jacob and his wives to separate from Laban. They're to go back to Jacob's homeland. God no longer wants Jacob and his family and his children hanging around or being influenced by Laban, this idolatrous man. Laban worships idols, and God doesn't want his people around that any longer. You see, our God is a jealous God. And he openly admits to that. And he makes no apologies for that. And he seeks worship from us, his people, from a pure heart. And Jacob and his wives and his children, and while they're around Laban and being influenced Laban, that is becoming more and more difficult to worship God from a pure heart. God wants Jacob uncluttered in his worship towards him. Rachel, Jacob's wife, you remember, she stole the idols of her father. Rachel has stolen these idols, but she cannot openly display these idols. These idols have no value to her. Jacob doesn't know she's stolen them. What can she do with them? Bring them out at night when nobody's watching? <laughs> so the idols that are stolen really have no value to her whatsoever. But let's look at chapter 32, verses 1 through 7. So Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him. When Jacob saw them, he said, This is God's camp, and he called the name of the place Mahananim. And then Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother, in the land of Seir, the country of Edom. And he commanded them, saying, Speak thus to my lord Esau. Thus your servant Jacob says, I have dwelt with Laban and stayed there until now. I have oxen, donkeys, flocks, male and female servants. And I have sent to tell my lord that I may find favor in your sight. Then the messengers returned to Jacob, saying, We came to your brother Esau, and he also is coming to meet you, and four hundred men are with him. So Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed, 
And he divided the people that were with him and the flocks and the herds and the camels into two companies. But we're going to stop the reading there. Right after making this covenant of separation from Laban, Jacob, then it says he sacrificed to God. We don't see Jacob doing that very often. Laban is now removed from Jacob's life and his families, his, his wives and his grandkids. And we read of Laban no more. Laban is removed from the picture. God honors Jacob's obedience by sending angels to comfort Jacob. As Jacob heads towards home, he has a tremendous fear and distress of what Esau will do to him. Jacob has had his eyes open to see these angels. And you notice the angels don't have anything to say to Jacob. They are simply there to comfort and support Jacob. And I find that very peculiar because you, usually in scripture when you read about an angel making an appearance, he has something to say. But we just read that angels were there and Jacob sees them. And there's more than one angel because there's a little S on the end of angels, meaning that there's a lot of them. Now, angels are created higher than man, smarter than man, stronger, etc. Yet angels are ordained by God to be ministers, servants to man. Years ago, Billy Graham wrote a book called Angels. And in that book, Billy, he, he tells a story. And there were some missionaries, a missionary couple on this remote island. And the natives are uh, wanting to chase them away. And they're intent on burning down their little house and, uh, and killing the missionaries. The missionary and his wife, they, they have an all-night prayer meeting. <laughs> and they're by themselves out here in this uh, lonely island. And at daybreak, the natives leave. Time goes by, and the native chief becomes a Christian. So the missionary asks him, he says, You remember that night when you surrounded our house and you were going to do us harm? What happened that you didn't attack us. The chief says, well, I've got a question for you. Who were all those big men in shiny garments with swords circling your home? We were afraid to attack. They were angels. Jacob has had the Lord open his eyes to see the angels that God has sent to protect him. And they don't even have a message for Jacob. They're just letting them know that they are there. These angels, they're an assurance to Jacob. And it's God's way of saying to Jacob, I am with you. But Jacob, like any of us, when he gets his eyes on the circumstance versus God, Jacob's fears rise up. And it says that he was uh, distressed with this fear. Fear of man is never walking 
in faith. God give Jacob these angels as protection to encourage Jacob. Now, I have never seen an angel that I know of. (laughs) We're told that we entertain angels unaware. And that's definitely my case, unaware. Remember Jacob? He sees this host of angels. And Jacob, he's just learning to trust God. He's not what we would call a man of faith yet. But God is working with Jacob. And Jacob then resorts to his own uh, ways. And he sends gifts ahead of him to his brother Esau, who is coming to meet him. And he sends oxen, he sends donkey, he sends flocks. He even sends male and female servants. All these gifts to his brother Esau that he might find favor with Esau. All this posturing, all this uh, gift giving and everything that's going with it is not necessary Because God has said, hey, I've got my angels there to protect you, Jacob. And Jacob has had his way prepared by God. And all Jacob would have had to do, if he'd have been a true man of faith, is send a message to Esau, say, hey, I'm coming in peace. Accept me in peace. Esau himself has been very prosperous. But Jacob in his fear and in his distress and in his self-sufficient ways they demand to him that he take no chances so he sends all these gifts to his brother Jacob cannot bring himself to believe that Esau with 400 men are coming to him with peaceful purposes (laughs) Jacob is one of those people who is quick to believe the worst. Are you one of those? Do you see the negative before you see the positive? Guilty. (laughs) When we see the worst and don't consider the good, It's difficult for us to be reconciled to friends and relatives because we think the worst. God has shown Jacob many angels. And the only purpose of these angels is they're there to comfort Jacob. To let him know that he has God's protection. But immediately, Jacob reverts back to the old Jacob, the old cunning ways that he has, and he takes matters into his own hands, and he does what he feels he must do. Jacob, in a simple term, has not learned to trust God. That question is required of us. Do we trust God have we learned to trust him have we seen that God is faithful have we learned that God is for us 
That's a big one in a lot of Christians' lives, just to understand that God is for us. God has even sent a host of angels to comfort Jacob. And he will do the same for you if necessary. The scripture reading this morning, where we read in the Gospels, Jesus says, blessed are those who believe without seeing. Words of Jesus. Does God have to show you time and time again that we should trust him? Or do you take it as a fact that God is for you? Now, most of us, and I haven't, have never had a vision of Jesus. I have never seen an angel that I knew was an angel. And I would say most of you are the same way. There might be some that have seen visions or whatever. But Jesus said we are blessed if we believe without having visual proof. We're blessed. So this morning, we are blessed. Amen? Amen. Let's close in prayer. Let me get you to stand and we'll close in prayer. Father God, I want to thank you that you saw fit to put a heart within me that would respond to you. And I thank you, Lord, that I am blessed. And I thank you that your people are blessed without seeing, Lord. You have blessed us with the knowledge of yourself. And so, Lord, we want to act on our belief. We want to be men and women of faith. We don't want to have to be like Jacob. Lord, Jacob is there for an example for us. So let us trust. Let us believe in you with our whole heart. For you are worthy of our trust. Our faith and hope is in you, Jesus. Thank you so much for loving us. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.